All right, we are back, and tonight we are quite all right. Quentin, how are you doing tonight? I'm good now that the technology in my life is deciding to work. Uh, I'm good that I woke up, woke up late and decided not to go to work, so I've just been reading all night. This is the only productive thing that I've done my entire day. Nice. Reading is productive. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. go ahead. Yeah, but bonus manga is, like, less productive, some, some, someone might say. That's true. That, I mean, people say that, but anything that inspires you, anything that gets your brain working is productive, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, we are joined by an inspiring and <laughs> intellectually stimulating guest uh, who we've had on in the past, but it's been a while. Um, I was talking to... Uh, another hopefully future guest and saying like I fall into this trap of I just keep inviting the same people over and over again and I forget to invite other people so I thought oh you know why not get Alex Alex I didn't ask you how you'd want to be introduced but how are you doing tonight I'm doing well like when I had a lazy day I watched modern indie wrestling for the first time in <laughs> possibly years I got some new vinyl in some Japanese Korean city pop and I'm supposed to be reading a book but I haven't gotten to that yet Nice, nice. I guess I'm the only one who actually went to work today, unfortunately. But I uh, I had a pretty shitty day. And honestly, within like the first 15 to 20 minutes, I messaged my wife and was like, I'm t debating just walking out. I'm like so fucking annoyed and upset. But uh, I got through it. I uh, muscled up and, and just grit and bear and got through it. But it was uh, it was quite, quite infuriating. But um. I guess Alex, just saying Alex, former guest, whatever, it should give, I guess, some uh, some background, right? You are uh, still have... The blog is Bureau About a Tag Boom as well, or do you have another name for the blog? So the blog's name is I Say, You Say, Hey Say, and then the, the big project in the podcast is the Better About a Tag Boom. Yes, and I guess that's the main thing. It hasn't been... It's not dormant, it just hasn't been, uh, I guess... You haven't been posting updates as much lately, but there is still content going up relatively frequently or, you know, at least relatively. And some of the best researched and, you know, thought provoking stuff when it comes to like interesting things that nobody has talked about or really dug up in a long time. It's I mean, you go way back, obviously, but it's just it's kind of annoying because a lot of people's touchstone is just like Meltzer saying 90s, you know, AJW was like the greatest stuff or whatever. Um and like that's about it and not really like going any deeper like you do so everyone really appreciates that oh always i always say that um legitimately alex is like my favorite person who does any any of that like type of research because it's just no one does it and if they do do it which is a few scarce people i don't think they do it as well as she does or like approach it from like all like the nuance and perspective and adding in like why things happen like why women were were, were getting into we're getting into the wrestling business and what them want to get into the business and like all the other like socioeconomic and like entertainment aspects of it and alex does such a really good job of it but what i'm reading uh currently alex might be familiar with alex have you ever heard of the uh the manga series Nana. Holy shit. Okay. So I was reading <laughs> I was reading Nana before the hiatus started. 
Oh, really? Oh, wow. oh so yeah. You I were was a, in you middle were a school. Yeah, you were a baby. <laughs> yeah, because so my older sister loved Paradise Kiss, you know, Potterkiss by the same mangaka. So I loved Potterkiss. I then got into Nana, which at one point were happening at the same time. I'm just, oh, I love Nana so much. And then I was yeah. like, oh, there hasn't been an update in a couple months. And then I go uh. to one of the manga sites. It's like, oh, Ayazawa has gone down with a serious illness. She isn't feeling good. She doesn't feel like she can make art. Enter, I've almost been out of high school for 10 years. And she's still, yeah, I think she's still made gone. <laughs> maybe two pieces of art since then. I don't think she's publicly announced what illness she had, but yeah, yeah. I know Nana. Yeah, so I've been uh, I've been reading Nana for the last uh, last couple of days, real heavy. I'm like uh, spoiler alert for anyone that I, 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 anyone that we li- that listens to us read manga. I'm not sure, but spoiler alert for anyone Probably. that might be interested, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, but spoiler 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 alert. Um, I'm at the point in uh, in Nana where they find out that Nana Ozaki. Um, that her mom that her, that her mom is alive. So uh, yeah, so 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 that's where I'm at currently. <laughs> You're like in <laughs> such disbelief right now. I was th- I was there when the ancient text was written. <laughs> <laughs> I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta keep you updated then, because I'm like. I'm half. I'm halfway through it. Obviously, like, oh, maybe even more, more than halfway through it. God, maybe I only have like twenty something chapters left. So, like, I'll keep. I'll keep you updated. But yeah, I'm definitely. Uh, I'm almost almost done with Nana. All right. So again, spoiler alert. Have they? Have they? Are they in London yet? Uh, the London thing did happen. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, trap Trap Nest is in London. That is that that is happening, and at, at this part too. Uh. Trap Ness is in London. Uh and they just saw Nana's half sister. And uh Hachi went to the uh restaurant or whatever that the that the mom works at and is trying to figure out how to approach her. So all that all that's going on. Uh yeah. So I'm not sure where the story's headed, but that's where I'm at. If I remember correctly, it ends on a cliffhanger, which makes the hiatus worse because we were supposed to be <laughs> waiting for a reveal. Yeah. Oh God, that's man. So like, I, I I think I didn't know until recently that um Ayazawa had gotten sick and that Nana technically isn't finished. Like it's the Canterbury Tales of manga, a shoujo manga. Honestly, yeah. Which are like, sorry for honestly, sorry for anyone that, that came here for wrestling. <laughs> um hey if like, you're listening to an episode with alex on it you are not here for wrestling honestly <laughs> what yeah, have like, we done in the past you know honest, honestly yeah if you're listening to a podcast that has alex on it like wrestling just doesn't happen here but the cheek very musical is probably my crowning moment um uh, but, too good. but um yeah as i'm sitting there reading it like even like i, I don't know if you've like read it since you like since you've gotten older but like like, I understand that it's like the highest selling one, so like so it's like easy to say like the highest selling thing ever is like the best of his genre, but like this is like the pinnacle of the genre, man. This is like like yeah, this is like amazingly written and fleshed out. So it kind of sucks to know that we're probably never gonna get like 
a full complete ending but even without that and like what i've read so far like i understand why this is like regarded as like just all across the board classic yeah i mean i think nana is probably one of the best regardless of you know shonen shoujo jose whatever probably one of the best manga to encapsulate the moment and feeling of early aughts turn of the century japan and the youth culture Every, everything about it too because like you're even like getting commentary on all these different industries like other than just like relationships and love and like friendships and, and things like that, you're getting commentary on like the music industry that's actually like pretty insightful and in-depth like even if it's not like the craziest like deep dive and everything it gets you it gets into like the realities of the music industry and the in uh in the meat in the media even gets into like the sec and it even gets into like the sex work industry like it gets into like a whole bunch of other things that, like i just would not have expected yeah ayuzawa's work is a gift like even parakis just it was, you know, it was a bunch of kids going to fashion college and then they meet Caroline and she gets dwelled into their world. And that also goes into heavy subjects that you don't expect if someone says, oh, you should read, read this social manga about, you know, fashion kids. Oh, OK. Yeah, sure. Like one of the main characters is a, you know, transgender woman that happening in like 2001, 2002 manga or any type of mainstream media that was such a rarity and she's handled with seriousness and she's respected by all the characters like no one makes a fuss it's never a topic because she just is who she is and she's accepted even 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 beyond that like like nada is like that's the the relationship between nada and hachi is like very explicitly gay like like it's really gay it's like a extremely gay relationship that's like they don't really run away from, or like you could say it's only implied. Like, no, like it's commonly said throughout the whole thing. Oh, Nana and Hachi are in love with each other. Like, so yeah, Ayazawa really ahead of her ahead of her time, obviously. And it sucks that her, I guess, her most seminal work might uh, might may, may never may never get an ending. But that's where I'm at with it. So I'm I'm really I'm really really looking forward to the last uh, however many chapters I got left. Uh, Tim, I know your I know your uh, sister is like big in the uh, manga and anime. Has she? Uh, do you know if she's ever talked about it or no? No, I'll have to check with her. But I mean, that sounds so interesting. I'd like want to check it out myself. I uh, haven't read a manga in so long. I'm really even followed any anime, but you know, I I enjoy it as well. I just haven't. But that sounds really neat. So it's like I'm interested in checking it out. But I will actually I'll message her right now and see what she says if she's ever seen it. But no, I I, I don't it, recall. It, yeah, it, it it did get an anime. I'm not, and I'm, oh, I'm nice. not, and two I'll, live action movies. It did, yeah. And you, a video game. For it PSP, did get the video game. I remember. And we got I, credit cards. Oh, it, it, it was a phenomenon. Honestly. It really was. It, it was huge. You know, you know what? Like I've, man, I, <laughs> I feel really bad for anyone that wanted wrestling here, but I like, I, I, I realized uh, somewhat recently, I was. Let me just look up like some of like the highest selling manga things like that because I was just curious to see like if there are any outliers or things that stood out to me, and maybe it's just because like when I was younger I didn't really appreciate the show or like it that much. But when I saw how big of a deal Inuyasha was and I went and looked at sales, I was like, wait, holy shit, Inuyasha was this popular? Yeah, 
and just like, think what the hell <laughs> she made inuyasha she also made rama one half and she made uruse yes oh shit yeah, yeah. i oh, watched rama and queen. inuyasha she is yeah. <laughs> fuck that is so dope yeah reiko is a queen she's she's done it yeah i, I, was, I was just going through that like man inuyasha is another one where i'm like maybe i should like go back and like read it or watch it and like just to see if i like get it because again i was a kid but like man like i was like damn inuyasha was that big of a that, that big of a deal i would have never guessed yeah. that yeah like megan the stallion is- loved inuyasha as well so it's a big fucking deal it was always on adult <laughs> swim no it was it was but like yeah i think i think i think i said before on here it's like i recognized like all the things that were all the things that were on here like the inuyashas and the one piece and bleach like i remember seeing them but like all I thought was that the kids watched Naruto and Dragon Ball Z. So all I watched was Naruto and Dragon Ball Z. And then like as I got older, I would like watch things on my own. But like those other like big shows that were on TV with Cartoon Car- Car- Network at the time, like I didn't really pay like heavy attention to. Like I just read Bleach last year. So like I'm kind of like way behind on things that are kind of like big cultural touchstones for um for, for manga and anime because I didn't know that those were big deals back when I was a kid. Like everyone just watched Dragon Ball Z and did Naruto hand signs. <laughs> well, my dad banned <laughs> Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z from the households. We were a Roroni Kenshin Inuyasha household. See, that's like so much better. <laughs> like, it really is. Yeah, like that 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 sounds so much better than <laughs> than just like coming to school and like everyone is talking about like we're getting dragon balls he had his moments and everything but just like oh man that sounds way cooler and then i remember one of my friends in elementary school he was super big into yu yu Hakusho, and then when Yu-Gi-Oh hit it was over oh yeah Yu-Gi-Oh was like every everywhere like do you know that kids still a kid still have pokemon cards oh i'm very aware kids still have pokemon cards and kids like still do things like that and i'm like as I'm as I'm working at the school I'm at, I'm like, wow, like they still do like Yu-Gi-Oh cards too, everything. And like, how how are these things still happening? <laughs> it I mean, nothing goes away now. That's the thing. Like, you know, Seriously. we talked about it, but culture is so weird, nothing goes away anymore. You don't really have true nostalgia because like it never left. I'm just sitting there. <laughs> I'm, not I'm so happy about about Alex's reaction to Nana. Like yeah. I was like, I'm like, I was like, I'm sure Alex has heard of it, but that reaction was like everything I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. So my sister did say that she loves Nana. Uh, oh shit! And the first thing she said was probably never going to get an actual ending though. And so yeah, oh, so shit. she knows. That's the first thing she said. She even knows that. And she told me that the the show is on Hulu. So I know I'll, I'm going to have to start watching that. Oh yeah, we got we got we got just from the podcast one day. <laughs> Yeah. I thought about it. I guess we could do it someday. We should. It we got, would be, we got, it would we, be we nice. Got, yeah, we gotta do that. Just like me, Alex, and your sister would just do a <laughs> do an anime Jap- show, yeah. Yeah, do like that, just like Japanese culture podcast or some shit. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I mean I'm, she's I'm basically running one right now and it's like yeah. oh god. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh yeah. shit, wrestling. Yeah. Um so wrestling news, the only thing that I can think of is and I don't even again I I, I thought I made the moratorium on no talking about him, but I just want to say uh, the shout out to one Bill Phil, uh, but I guess it's more like 1.3 Bill Phil um, and the uh, the big announcement for AEW and all this. But 
like I said last time with Jay, I'm I'm just I'm I'm so annoyed by all the people who fucking hand ring about like, oh, I don't want to always talk about punk, but uh, you know, big deal, big money, good for them. But uh, again, I I don't know. I, I don't know if I if I put this out there, but I was thought it and I meant to, but it's like the people who spent all this time fucking arguing and picking apart the details and the minutiae of the wrestling business, I'm like you do know that you could do the same thing, but about like Fortune 500 companies and invest your money in the stocks and actually make something of it instead of just focusing on the business. Like, I'm not hating on uh, WrestleNomics because, you know, those guys do something special, but the, like, you know, something that's a unique benefit. They serve a purpose. They have fans. They give. But the, the regular just fans who obsess about it, it's like, man, if all you care about is business, watch fucking uh, MSNBC or something. Don't uh, don't waste your time watching wrestling. I don't. I really also don't understand being that intrigued by wrestling business in particular, honestly. Yeah. Like Like, I said, if you want to watch, like watch the big businesses and like invest your money and like actually make something of it. Don't fucking sit here talking about wrestling businesses and do nothing with it except for just argue with people about the stupid, most pointless bullshit. Yeah. Like like, I I don't think wrestling business is interesting enough to sit there and like want to do that much, like that much time to it. Like I talk about like how now I'm I'm in the battle rap world and have getting deeper and deeper and having to deal with battle rap and the people that like cover battle rap drama, I guess are so weird because one battle rap isn't big enough for you to like, even really like be making that much of an impact covering these things. But like, if you want to do that, why don't you like go cover like entertainment stuff or YouTubers or whatever, like go be like fucking Keemstar or whatever. Like, but why do you want to be like Keemstar of fucking battle rap? Like it's weird. I don't understand getting so like into like one particular side of a super duper duper niche thing like this when you could like apply that to like so many other things or like a more like broad sense. It's it's strange. Yeah, but Alex, how how much do you care about the business of AEW and and like I said, one point three bill Phil? Um, so like in a way, I do pay attention a lot to the wrestling business, but it's for a company that's been dead since two thousand five. <laughs> yes, like my big takeaway from all of this is that the wrestlers and the fans are a bunch of babies. Because fucking. True. Since it's all in the Japanese wrestling media, Akira Hokuto and Shinobu Kandori literally threw punches at each other backstage at a show, and everyone's just like, okay, whatever. This match is still going to happen because it's going to make money. And it was all over because Kandori said that her and Hokuto had agreed to not talk about each other in media. Akira Hokuto mentioned Kandori's name in a magazine. So Kandori shows up to AJW and is like, hey, what the fuck? Okira Hokuto throws the first punch and he swings back and it's like, oh, fuck. But no, they still went on and had a match because people realized, hey, this match is going to make money. We like money because we're a fucking wrestling promotion. We're making money. And it's like, I don't care if they're friends. Again, AJW, notorious for their bullying culture and people like almost literally, no, literally beating up their juniors, like gaslighting people and just all this horrible bullshit. And they put on amazing matches. Why? Because they're making money. The Masanaka brothers wanted to make money. They didn't give a fuck. The wrestlers want to be stars. They want to live out their dreams. 
if fucking teenage girls can figure it out, these grown ass <laughs> men need to figure it out. And the fans I, need to fucking get over it. That's my take. I agree with you a hundred percent, but I think it also speaks to just how different the business is. And especially AEW, right? Because their their contracts and their setup is like so different that it changes people's incentive for this stuff. Because like you said, like they knew that they needed to draw money to make money. And the AEW wrestlers really don't. Like the people specifically involved in this fight are not going to make more money by drawing money by getting over it and drawing money against each other because of AEW's contract situation where everyone just gets paid and just like they're talking about with the house shows that there's wrestlers who you know some people are reporting that some of the wrestlers are upset about working house shows because they signed a contract saying that they were going to work x amount of dates and get x amount of money but they've gone this many years not working that many dates and still making the money that now they feel like they deserve more money when they get more dates and it's like no 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 you were getting more than you were supposed to and not working your full dates this whole time. Now you're just getting close to where you're supposed to be. Right. But they're thinking, oh, I should make more money if I'm working more. Um, so it is kind of like, well, I don't care. Like it hasn't affected me if we draw or we don't draw. If I wrestle, if I don't wrestle, I'm getting paid either way. So why should I put up with any of this stuff to to make more money? And it is like it is kind of interesting because it does. It changes so much when that's the the incentive and like. I mean, it should be it should be fair and everyone should have a safe work environment. And, you know, I'm I'm pro union and have been like very vocally forever and all this and that. But it does, again, just speak to the difference in the in the what what is your kind of your incentives and what is your motivation, depending on how you make money and how the business is structured. And it is it's a it's a brave new world that Tony Khan is kind of like trying to navigate where he does have these wrestlers. And you've got people like the Young Bucks and Kenny who have never really come across like they care about their image when it comes to being a tough guy or whatever. And then you've got Punk who like seems like he does, but doesn't know how to actually be a tough guy. He just like really does not get it. He's got like major only child syndrome, even though he does have an older brother um, where it's just like he wants to act like he can play and, you know, roll around and be tough and all this. But the second that something happens, he's running to go, you know, basically go tell mom or in this world like try to take you to court and try to sue you for every little thing that you do that makes you ma him mad and it's just it's very interesting and weird personalities but uh again baby I, dicks, I'm trying that's to... all i'm gonna say yes i agree <laughs> um quentin is there any other news or anything that that i'm just forgetting about that's been going on that's important to actually talk about um i don't think so i mean i feel like every i feel like basically every like the wrestling world is just kind of like in this standstill just waiting for the day when punk shows up honestly like now that it's yeah. been hinted at we know the new show is coming like i feel like everything is just kind of in this general like malaise until punk comes back i mean what do you think about the idea that randy orton might have might be forced into retirement that's been floating around um yeah, I heard a little. I've heard a little bit of this stuff going around, and that that, that he's bad, or that he's like it's like it go. It fluctuates between like he's coming back soon, and he may never come back. I keep hearing both, but I don't know. Is there something recent that's a little bit more firm? Oh no, nothing firm. Just like 
kind of like what what do you what, like if you, if you had any thoughts on that? I'm like, you know, WWE is still in a position where okay, you just had Roman Reigns beat Cody WrestleMania when you could have solidified another guy. Uh, granted, Cody Cup might still beat Roman, but we just never know. There's no Cena. They introduce a new title that they're probably gonna give to Rollins, I guess. And then like. Orton, who has been one of your mainstays and someone that you can heat up and heat up at any time, like yeah, like a guy that's twenty plus years in, but someone that was still like really reliable and did a lot for you. You might be losing him now too. So, just thinking about the position that WWE finds themselves in, like on the already kind of like scarce roster with like top of the line talent that they're willing to like push heavy. That, that you lose Randy Orton, it's like man, like what do you do now? Right. It is, um, but also he's been gone for so long at this point that it almost feels like it's not really a big hit for them. You know, I don't. And when he, the last time he was around, he was like kind of fucking around in a tag team with Riddle that really the, felt like it was just true, about having fun. It, true, but it was the most, it was like other than the bloodline thing, it was like the most overact in the company. True, true. But yeah, I don't know. Up, like up until the point where Randy got hurt, he probably, like he probably still would have been really important. Like Randy maybe might have gotten a title shot. Randy might have been doing certain things. He might they might have turned him and Riddle to feud with each other or whatever. But like the him and Riddle thing was really big. So yeah. I think I I think that losing Randy, even if like it's been a bit of time now, it it, it does hurt because he's someone that like no matter what you know whatever it is about the guy, he comes back and the fans just love him. They really really do love Randy. Yeah, I mean, that is true. And he's definitely very over in the kind of guy who can do a, you know, a, a PLE title challenge at any moment and, and be legitimate and credible. Um, and, you know, the Riddle thing was clearly intentional. They were trying to have him give Riddle the rub with that, you know, that connection between the two of them. And it didn't really fully stick, especially because Riddle had the hiccups and then everything that's going on there. And it is. Isn't it like. <laughs> so fucking ridiculous that this guy after years of everyone being like how stupid is it that they didn't sign him to wwe based on like they were worried that there was going to be a problem because of him getting busted for weed a couple times and oh he's fine on the indies and all this and then like all the shit that he's gotten into now and you know not even not even just talking about like the allegations but just everything else that you hear about that's going on with him backstage and the stuff with the fucking divorce and all the drama with this guy. And it's like, God damn, like you got, they were really right. They probably should have just never fucking signed his ass. Yeah. Uh, but that, but now like for some reason, even though all this, like all this is like constantly like blew up and it's something new every single time. If it's not, if it's like, even if they're not willing to do anything about what he's like, what he's been accused of in the allegations, like, with all the different stuff with like multiple people backstage and everything it's just so like just so many things but yeah that yeah, that's, that's 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 one where they're like yeah like maybe maybe you guys are right want to want to stay away from that one <laughs> yeah but then now that they got him it's like they they're they're just going to like stick with him like you would think that they would have just let him go like it really yeah, felt I, like they were just going to let I him would, go i would think he was on a short leash like yeah I, you know you, you would think that Riddle would be on a short leash and it's like a Apparently not. <laughs> yeah, they're keeping him around, I guess. Um, um, 
Did you did you have did you happen so, to see Mock, did you happen to see Moxley and Moxley and Kenny before we uh, before the we cage match? Yeah, what, yeah, what, yeah. what do you think of that? Um I thought that it was fucking crazy. It was I mean the best cage match that's happened in a, quite a while, like just straight up singles cage match in quite a while. Um I did not love the the finish and the turn, the way that it was executed, but I do like I like the logic of it. I just thought that I don't like I don't ever love the like interrupt the match manager like you know because Callis like interrupted Moxley when it looked like he was gonna win, only to then help Moxley win like seconds later. Just one of those kind of like overthinking it Russo swerve to swerve, but I do like the dynamic between the two because especially with you know and and Callis went out of his way to do it. He points at the scar at the back of the head, which plays off of the whole. To be in BCC, you have to have bled with BCC, right? So it kind of like, okay, like they showed that he bled with them. So is he with them? I like that because it does, it follows the logic and it makes it seem like, oh, that could be it. And, you know, Takeshita, him bringing Takeshita into Elite, but Takeshita has also bled with Moxley. So you could see, oh, he could, he could be in the BCC as well. So I did like that, that wrinkle to it. But the match itself was like fucking nutty, just out of control, violent. Um, again, people love to talk about like, oh, I want to see this Kenny all the time, and I'm just like, I don't, know, I don't know what the, what you're watching the other times. You know what I mean? Like, it's so weird to me when I hear people talk about Kenny, like, oh, he's so good in these settings. I'm like, he delivers these levels of performances all the time. He's always at this level. Like, I, I just don't get the people who like get so, I don't know, like any other context. They just like don't see that he's still this level of athlete, this level of performer at all times. It's just, it's very odd. But what did you think of it, Quinn? I liked it a lot. I, th- I thought it was their best match together so far. Um, It's funny that I still think that they probably have another level they can get to as a pairing. Um, I feel like they've been, like, each time they've been put in really weird situations. Like, like first time is the is the is the lights out match. Second time is the is, is the title match on TV with the Cal with the uh, with the Kenny heel turn. This time it's here with Callis turning on Callis turning on Kenny. So like each time it feels like they've had like other stuff going on with their matches. That being said, I thought this was like my favorite one here. Like you, I'm not sure I'm a fan of the like mid match turn. I'm not really sure. Um, I I guess. If this is Callis joining BCC, I get it, I guess, but like it's not really necessary to me. Like, you could just kind of write Callis off, I feel like, or and like re- reintroduce him in a different way. I'm not sure that BCC needs uh needs Callis or that he's like really anything useful to them, to be honest. So like I'm curious to see what the direction that it goes in, but my initial thought is like really good match. Don't really understand why Callis would be in Blackpool Combat Club. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a handful of, of guys who, I mean, not just guys, there's a handful of wrestlers that could use being in a unit with Callis and it's not like BCC, but like just it, quickly. It, 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 it's, it, it, like, it's not a group with Brian Danielson and John Moxley. Like they're not the ones they're, they're, like, they're yeah, not they the ones that need him. <laughs> But like I said, something like Takeshita, and then you've got like Lee Moriarty with the firm kind of seemingly in limbo, who could definitely be part of a group there. 
you've got someone like Hook who feels rudderless and, and honestly could use, even though he's very popular, like if you had this group of of guys who feel like natural baby faces that are being that are being influenced. I mean, and, I mean, you know, shit, Jungle Boy. Yeah, exactly. If you get these guys, you get these baby faces who are being like negatively influenced by the, you know, the the, the invisible hand of Don Callis. I think you could get a lot of heat there and build something up and really kind of basically do like the varsity club, like what that idea was, where it was Sullivan kind of corrupting the the debate, these, you know, natural athletes and these, you know, like adversity athletes or whatever, kind of doing a similar thing with Callis, where he's taking a bunch of a bunch of young guys who seem like they should be baby faces, but are, you know, being influenced negatively by this weasel that everyone fucking hates. You could get you could get a lot out of that. Um, but yeah, the, the Blackpool Combat Club do not need Danielson is the leader of the group is what they need. He's been fucking perfect. He's been like fantastic in that role. Um, but that said, I think we both agree the match was was, you know, lights out really, really fucking good. Um uh was it uh, I was gonna say fire festival? That's not right. Um oh no, I, I'm trying to think of the all Japan uh champions carnival. Champions, Champions Carnival, Carnival yeah. finishes with Ashino, spoiler alert, winning um, and breaking his arm in the process and is going to be out at least long enough that they have to take away his uh, his title shot. Um, major bummer. I mean, I've checked out on Ashino at this point uh, because it just felt like nothing was ever going to happen there. And then it felt like this was maybe finally they're pulling the trigger um, because he was a guy that I was super into for a long time there. Um, and then this happens, uh, just a fucking bummer, right? Like that's uh, not cool, uh, for, it felt like maybe they were going to do something there. I don't know how much, and it's all Japan. So really who cares about the triple crown champion? Like, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's tough. I want to watch the final because it is, um, it is T-Hawk and Machino, like a matchup that like yeah. has been like that, what that has been really good in the past. So like definitely, definitely want to give that a watch, but yeah, 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 man. That that's that sucks. That really, uh, there's no other way to put it other than that sucks. No. Um, did you check out this uh, Big Japan Strong title match that everyone was going crazy for? Nope, I have not seen anything about it on Twitter. I don't know anything about this. So uh, yeah, let me, yeah, I don't know anything about this. Okay, at all. it was a title change between um, Yuya Aoki and uh, and. Yuji Yuji Okabayashi. Oh, Yuji won the belt. Um, yeah, and uh, Aoki won the belt. Oh shit! And, okay. <laughs> and people are going crazy for the match. Um, thought it was good, but yeah, you should check it out, and then maybe we could talk about it. Um. Oh hell yeah! I I, lo- I love Yuji. That's yeah. that's great. Okay, <laughs> that's that's really yeah, yeah. that's really awesome. People are really really into it. I'm. I'm not as into it as other people. I think it's good, but I think people, I think a lot of people just haven't seen any good big Japan in a long time. So they were really excited about it. So I would definitely say like, you know, expect it to be pretty good, but don't expect it to be match of the year. Cause that's what I'm hearing a lot of people saying. Oh, no, oh, no. Contender. oh yeah. I'm just going to go and excited to see you. You win the belt. Like that's, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's, that's awesome. I love that. And then uh, I haven't watched a ton of it, but best of the super juniors and, um, and we talked about it last week a little bit, but King of DDT are yeah going on right now. Uh, both really good tournaments from yeah, we can, the uh, sounds of it and the stuff that I've seen. Yeah, yeah. we can we can yeah, we can like check back in next 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 week with that because I haven't like paid attention and paid, paid attention to any any anything yet. 
So we can like check back in with like maybe like King of, like King of DDT and Best of Super Juniors next week. Yeah, it's really good tournaments. I mean, two company, two, two rosters, two like fields that are really solid and just delivering on what they're delivering on. Um, I'm gonna see Roddy return to the Indies. Very excited about that. Uh, too bad oh. it's against Kevin Blackwood, but whatever. I haven't seen anything from this show, but did you happen to watch anything? Uh, anything from uh the Don Taku show that had um Zach versus oh, no. Cobb and Tanada versus uh, Haramu? No, and you'd think I'd be excited for the Zach and Cobb match with how much I loved their RevPro title match before, but no, I, yeah. I I I did not go out of my way to watch any of it. I mean to, but I'm just I'm pretty cold on New Japan for the most part. Have you watched it? Did you check anything out? Mm-mm, no, that's all. That, that's that's always that's always curious, but I am seeing that they like are seems like they're going forward with this uh, Kevin Knight and Kushida tag team. Yes. So I'm I'm, I'm interested to see like what what winds up going going on there. It seems like they're pretty behind Kevin Knight in general. They're like really looking to push him, which is great because he's like insanely talented and. You know, shout out to former guest of the show Parm. He's you know a good friend of Parm, or at least friendly with Parm. So that's really cool just to see that to know he's a good guy, um, and getting kind of what he deserves with just how talented he is. Um, Alex, I'm sorry for all of that. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on any of the stuff that we just hit? Uh, no, I haven't kept up with uh, modern men's Japanese wrestling since I think wrestling with words. Fair, fair. Can't blame you. Those are, those um, are like those, that's like a cursed string of words right there. <laughs> yeah, it's not my fault. Big Japan kind of you know had a flop era. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, they really did. But um, do you want to get into the what we're here, the business that we're here for? Oh yeah, let's go. Let's do it. All right. Um, West Coast Pro Wrestling and. PWR Queen of the Indies 2023 um first ever Queen of the Indies pretty interesting I thought getting into it and kind of looking at the field it um it really felt like kind of the 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 best that you could do for actually finally having something that really feels like a King of the Indies for women's wrestling um that said the format I thought really fucking really left me for wanting quite a bit. Um, and I even thought about it and it was kind of like, you could, you could really present this weird format in a way that makes it make sense when you talk about it being like indie wrestling and you have to be up for, for doing all different kinds of things when you're a true indie wrestler. Right. And you have to be, you have to be ready to, you know, mix things up and, tag with people you've never teamed with against people who've never teamed before and all that kind of stuff. And they, I mean, part of it is the commentary just really did not tell you the story, right? Part of it also is like the commentary honestly did a really bit bad job in some places where they just like made things, made things that were already repetitive, made them feel even more repetitive by like constantly referencing that you've already seen this happen earlier in the night, um, which I just thought did not help anybody. Um, And one thing that crossed my mind and I don't know, if you guys remember this, and I don't even remember if I reviewed this with Quentin in the past or I reviewed it on a different podcast in the past, but I thought about it and I was like, honestly, the real better version of this was years ago when they did the Macon Towns classic um, that uh, Papa Hales, you know, was partially involved with putting together. And I thought about it and I was like, oh my God, Billy Starks was in that too. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I that was kind of my thoughts on the tournament and everything. But 
Alex, what did you think about this? Seeing as you have not been keeping up on modern indie wrestling, um, what did you think about the show overall and kind of the idea of doing a queen of the indies? I mean, overall, I think it's a good show. I've never watched any of these people wrestle, minus Mio Momono and Maria. So I was seeing them for the first time. A lot, like a lot of good impressions. And Hold on, the- hold on. Alex, you're telling me you've never seen Chigusa Nagayo before? Okay, okay. I look. I don't really count her wrestling as wrestling anymore. <laughs> Alex, not yeah, who Chikusa Nagayo is. Is just wow. Yeah. I'm stunned. Never seen her before. Yeah. yeah, no. After the the last blast match she did against, I think Onita or whoever. I I don't count she was as wrestling as wrestling anymore. Like it's for the pops. It's for it's for the fans. But regardless, uh, yeah. Like I finally saw Moss. Masha Slamovich match. She's pretty cool. Finally saw Billy Sarks. She's she's like <laughs> average, you know? Like wow. Seeing, okay. No, like it's not an insult, but just seeing in the Slack, seeing on Twitter, everyone talk about Billy Sarks, finally seeing her against, you know, Unagi. She, Unagi is not an ace of any promotion, but you know, she's a decent wrestler. Like Billy is perfectly fine. Like, hate to make Joshi comparisons all the time, but I'm going to be real honest. Like, she'd be a middle of the pack Joshi rookie. Nothing special, but she's not bad. Like, that's like average rest. Everyone's like, oh, she's so young. It's like, well, you know, that used to be that used to be the norm in Japan. That one place where jo- women's wrestling got to be an industry. That was the norm. So honestly, she's low key not that special. She's good. She has plenty of room to grow. Um, yeah, that's my Billy Sark stake. She's fine. Well, like you said, middle of the road, Joshi wrestler. So luckily for her, she's been primarily wrestling in Japan and TJPW. So that makes her in the top, like two or three workers in the company. Yep. <laughs> yeah, consider, uh, consider, consider, yeah. Considering how TJPW has like maybe two and a half good wrestlers, this checks out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, um, you know, it's. Not good if fucking stardom is having wrestlers take shot pots at your training. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, Quentin, I guess what do you, what are your thoughts overall and kind of in response to to what we're what I've been saying there? Um, I think that while like, there's something there's issues with like the structure of all the of all these different things, um, I still really enjoyed the wrestling, like. I think, I think like despite all of the issues that are there, but like the structure and the layout and making things really confusing from the one-on-one matches and then eventually like doing a tag team semifinal and all the other stuff like that's thrown in the middle is like uh, uh, it's it makes it a little weird and confusing and they don't do the best job of laying it all out. So like if I was giving it a grade, it only felt like the grade of the show. But that being said, like I enjoyed like a vast majority of the wrestling that I saw on here, I thought some women looked really, really good uh, in their in their in their matches, and the people that you would expect to like stand out and do well did stand out. And then by the time we get to the final, like I think we get a really good final too. So like, even with the issues, I think this is better than like the king of, than, than like the king of Indies from last year. Honestly, like oh. No, I was going to say, like, I think it's better than pretty much any of the, you know, the recent, like, revamped King of the Indies. Like, yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's at least better than the King of Indies from last year, and I'd have to like think again. But you're probably right; it's probably better than like most of like the revamp King of Indies, other than what maybe like is it better than is, is it better than the 2015 one? Like, I'm uh, not... yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think. Oh God, I'm trying to remember which one I went to. I'm like, oh God, I was at twenty. One yeah, one, but... twenty the 2015 one is that one. That was um. Yeah. That was Dragon the same. Man. Yeah, that yeah. That yeah. was the same weekend that it had um. The Roddy and Drew, Drew Galloway that weekend at some of all show. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, it's tough for me to say because I haven't watched it back since being there. But I would still. I mean, maybe, maybe a little bit flashier in some ways, but really, like overall, I think again, I think part of it too for me is that this feels, this feels a lot more like the original King of Indies than anything else and that's why i say like this is this is kind of the best time to finally do a queen of the indies because you actually have a a tournament and a per and a show that feels like it actually pays like homage to the to the history and even down to someone like masha like winning and and comparing it to you know brian danielson when he won like I, you know she's not at the same level as danielson as a talent but she feels the same in that sense of just being undeniably kind of the best indie wrestler, you know, especially when it comes to women's wrestling, but like, she really does stand out as like, she is the queen of the indies right now. She's GCW champion booked everywhere. Fucking every time she's out, you get this level of performance from her. That's like, again, I'm not the same as Danielson, not the greatest of all time, but I mean, I can't remember the last time I saw a Masha match that I would say was bad. And I definitely can't remember the last time I saw a Masha performance where I would say Masha didn't give a good to great performance. So, yeah, like it definitely felt like this was a fitting queen of the Indies for the first queen of the Indies. You know what I mean? I, def I, def I definitely agree with all that. Um, and sometimes when we talk about Masha, like she has like this undeniable... Uh, aura and presence around her and she and she's someone where like she's so interesting and unique that you want to see her want to face anybody but sometimes she can be a little hit or miss and like i don't think that was the case with masha at any point during this show i thought that this was like just a really consistent masha performance throughout the whole night yeah definitely um yeah, it's, I'm almost like she's in like the top three matches, maybe, maybe the you know top three out of or the top yeah three out of the top four matches or whatever, um on the show, which is pretty impressive. Obviously, Mio is right there with her, um in a lot of ways. But uh, yeah, I guess if we're done with the overall thoughts, maybe we can talk about the show. Oh yeah, sure, let's do it. All right. Um. So, opening was it a it's a five way um i thought like you know not I, I guess i don't know how to put this exactly but like these five wrestlers were like better than maybe some of the other people that were in the tournament and really seemed like better than like the other non-tournament matches i mean the six woman match obviously was like a legends thing and you got nicole coming out of retirement and all that but like the, the women in this were like honestly legitimately somewhat like a couple of them impressed me more than like some yeah. of like the men i've seen recently yeah this was like a really like they, sick like, five like, like yeah like they were like 
a few of them were really, really good. And like, it only goes five minutes, which goes to like how impressive like they were in that short span of time. But like the pe- like the women here were like really impressive. Yeah, seen Jordan Blade obviously more in the 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 tag team, um, but you know the Kings of the District. But like really impressed with like just hitting some big spots here and really like standing out. Um, J Rod like good good presence and like you know one of these like tall big wrestlers who could be goofy or whatever but actually is really really solid promise braxton fucking just absolutely rocks and like it does make me question like okay out of all the wrestlers that you've ever seen that came out of like booker t reality of wrestling school like he only seems to be able to produce like good women's wrestlers it's kind of odd when you when you when you like start to look at that it's like the Lance storm thing like it's another thing where it's like why is it that Booker T produces like so many good women's wrestlers and like that's really it? Um, never, there, always wonder about stuff there, like that. There was some guy a few years ago that people that people were hyping up that didn't really go anywhere. There was a, what was, was it guy? Rex Andrews? It was Rex Andrews. Yeah, he was good. Now he's like I still follow him on Instagram because I really liked him as a wrestler. Now he's like mostly doing personal training and stuff. It sucks because he, he was pretty solid. He was like he was like Kylo O'Reilly's drunk uncle, but I think he was probably straight edge or something. So he was that was kind of his vibe. He, he was a. Uh... <laughs> He was Tony Kazina? <laughs> Basically, yeah. He's like Tony Kazina if he was a little bit taller. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's tons of the Gigi Ray looked really good in here. Um, Amari like was kind of an interesting vibe for what she was going for, but she was kind of like a like um giant Saya, kind of that like you know, powerful but like a little bit shorter wrestler kind of vibe. But yeah, this this was really good. Alex, what did you think about the opening five way? I kind of wish it went longer. I felt like when Promise won, I was like, oh. I kind of want to see a couple more minutes of this because, like you said, everyone gave good impressions. Like, I was really impressed by J-Rod's presence. Jordan Blade I was also impressed with. Kind of want Jordan Blade to go to LLPW because I know Ken Dory is looking for people to train. And you know, they mentioned a BJJ background commentary. And it's like, yeah, no, that would make sense. Like, screw Marvelous. Go to LLPW. Learn from <laughs> another shooter. Yeah. Yeah, Jordan Blade, like I said, I've seen her in the tag team, seen her... I, I, I'm not even sure that Jordan Blade is a, a you know uses female pronouns, so I apologize for for that. But um, either way, Jordan Blade really solid, and I've appreciated the stuff that I've seen. Um, I wish uh, I wish I saw more singles stuff because this was like kind of one of the first times where I saw singles and just hitting some big spots and looking really good. Um, Quentin, I, you gave some thoughts there, but did you have any other thoughts before we move on? Uh, no, like I said, everything I said there. It's only five minutes. I I, I definitely echo. Alex said, like, they were so good here that, like, I kind of wish they got a couple more minutes. Like, that that would have been better served than that uh, tag match before the final going nearly 10. Yeah. I I, I, uh, I didn't, like, uh, you know what? I did not like that match, but we'll talk about it when we get there. Like, I just, yeah. Um, But, Quentin, maybe give me your, your thoughts on this. We got uh, Dulce Tormenta versus Lady Frost, uh, two wrestlers who... I'm ah well, you know, I was gonna say not super familiar, but I've seen enough of their stuff. But kind of, what do you think? And maybe give me some background on Dulce Tormenta because I've not, I've seen a bit of her, but I don't really know much. Yeah, I thought. I mean, I thought this was pretty. I thought this was pretty good. I mean, like maybe not even from like the Dulce Tormenta side, but like I thought Lady Frost came across like super well here. Honestly, like she like she was she um. She felt like a star. Like, she felt, like, really important. At least, like, that's how she came across. And I know that, like, she always, like, she just has a great look. So she's always going to have, like, that going for her. But the way she carried herself in the ring in this one, like, 
really felt like really uh I don't know. There's some. There's some like the, the some of the most I've been impressed with her here. She looked really good and dominant in some in some stretches. Uh, don't say Tormenta is like pretty new. I've only I've only I've only seen her. I've only seen her a couple of times, and um, you'll usually see her working in like te- in, in, in in Texas promotions, like from like primarily El Paso. So like, I've only seen seen her a couple a couple of times, and you can like find a little bit of her stuff on YouTube. But like from what I've seen. She's pretty. She, she's pretty solid. I'm not sure if she was wrestling under a different name, and it's hard to find. And, and if it's like hard to like really know how long she's been wrestling, but from what I've seen of her, she's been pretty solid a couple different a, a couple different times. I know some people might remember her from being on the GCW show facing Sexy Star, but yeah, I, I thought I thought that she was solid solid here, and like I think that she'll get better the more opportunities she gets and she gets like more prominent US bookings and just gets, gets to keep doing stuff like that but I thought that this was solid and Lady Frost seemed like a uh, I don't know she came across really well here yeah I, I definitely agree with that and I kind of have been saying that for a minute I I thought it was interesting and I again this is another one I don't remember if I put this out there or if I just meant to and never did but like when the there was a little bit of like trouble and drama between Lady Frost and Impact when she left that she didn't want a job going out the door when she you know was leaving and I like my first instinct was like who is she to say anything and then I was like honestly she kind of is like one of the top you know star and the poise and the way that she like performs and the way that she carries herself women's wrestlers out there and she is kind of set up to where she. Sh- I'm kind of shocked that it's been this long. It's been like a year since that happened and that nobody's picked her up because it feels like she would fit right in basically anywhere. The only thing I guess maybe going against her is she's like, she's nearly 40 years old, but I mean, you look at her and you can't tell like she does not look old and she carries, like I said, she carries herself with a ton of poise. Everything she does is like really crisp and, 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 you know, done perfectly. So it's just kind of shocking. Um, I think maybe it makes sense to, that they booked them together because they kind of thought high flying lucha background kind of styles to mix. And I thought that they actually did a pretty good job of, of kind of, you know, working well with each other there. Um, Alex, what were your thoughts on this, uh, this match? I love the match with a bigger impression of Lady Frost and uh, Dulce Tormenta, but yeah, Lady Frost just definitely has a good presence about her. Then it makes you think she's definitely, confident about herself and she could be a star in like a smaller promotion and her body control when she was doing aerial moves is also very impressive not so much impressed by Dulce Tormenta like I see her cage match she's been wrestling for eight years and it's kind of leaving me like she's not bad but I'm not going out my way to see Tormenta and like probably never will because she's literally all the way over across the state I'm closer to Chicago than I am El Paso. Like, <laughs> eh. yeah, yeah. It kind of mid on Tormenta, but it's like, yeah, I was, I was pretty impressed by Lady Frost. Like, I'll probably go out see her again, maybe catch a stream now that I'm subscribed to IWTV. Oh, hey, look at that! She, you know, get, you know it, 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 it really puts yeah. in perspective how big Texas Texas is when you say something like that about being closer to Chicago than El Paso. <laughs> It's it's fucking massive. Like a flight from Dallas to Toronto is only three hours. God. <laughs> hmm. 
it, it, it really yeah. is a it, it's a ridiculously large state it makes yeah. no sense yeah. like and it sucks because like i'm far away from all the really good lucha shows in texas because that's all by like brownsville the you know el paso the valley they get all the cool hip luchadors and then up here you occasionally get a lucha show uh, you know once a month or something but again that's more over by fort worth which is you know way more hispanic and then dallas gets like old wwe wrestlers we used to get Uh. sammy Guevara, and like there's a reason i don't go to indie shows is because dallas has absolutely nothing to offer yeah that's uh unfortunate but uh <laughs> you know texas it's crazy because yeah like california is a big state too but like texas just seems nuts to me whenever i like think about the geography and just how I it works i think we're larger than france <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> probably probably larger than a lot of countries in europe really um yeah. well the next match is Masha Slamovich versus Hyon and uh, Alex. You said this is your first time seeing Masha, so give me your first impressions and what you thought about the match. Masha is a good power wrestler. I should probably go back and see her marvelous stuff because, again, good first impression. I also like Hyon too. Would like to see her more in singles competition, but yeah, like if Masha, like you said, was like one of the best female competitors on the indie scene, I believe it because like. I haven't seen or heard of any anyone else that could beat her and seeing her in this tournament's like, yeah, you put a crown on her, like give her a trophy. She probably who else is gonna compete with her? Who else can feasibly say I'm better than Masha Slamovich? I haven't seen it yet. But the match was really fun. Like the CT knee, one of my favorite things, and then the shining yeah. lizard into the chokehold was probably my favorite spots in the match. And yeah, that that sequence right there probably made me a fan of Masha. Yeah. Masha taking it to the to the floor. Love like Yeah. I think it wasn't the first time I saw her, but it was the first time I saw Masha in person. Was that Bloodsport and she was wrestling uh Marina Shafir? And it was Bloodsport, you know. So everything's on the on the mat and it's in the ring and it's all grapple, you know, shooty shoot, whatever. And like partway through the match, Masha just does a cannonball tope to the floor into the front row on uh Shafir and it was just like okay let's fucking go like the way that she's just so reckless and violent and then she does it here taking you know, high on to the floor and then suplex like snap suplex on the fucking ground and just uh, there's something about her it's just it's so it's a mix of yeah like being a power fighter but also being just a reckless brawler like she can kind of you know do do both she's not just like you know suplexes and on the ring she can, she does that stuff really well too but she also just has that that x factor and not just like the star power way but the like uh the just unpredictable way she just is she feels like you don't know what the fuck is gonna come we don't know what's gonna happen next anytime masha's out there anything can fucking happen um high on another uh booker t student like i talked about that he produces these Top level women. And, you know, so she's based out of Houston, which is probably insanely far from you, Alex, but uh, somehow still in your same state Um, and just grinding. She's kind of a she's been kind of a grinder and slowly putting it together. Me and Quentin talked about a couple of her matches recently in DPW and just building up that rep and building up that like, you know, respectability. And right here, she did not feel out of place. She definitely 
was perfect losing to Masha, right? You don't expect her to beat Masha, but she didn't feel outclassed. She just felt like she's not quite there yet. So I just thought perfect, perfect spot. But Quentin, what did you think of, uh, what did you think of this one? Really, really good. Obviously for like as great as Masha is and like for all the flower throwing we've done, we've done for Masha already in our, uh, in our recap of this. Haya is very solid and I, and I, and I, and I like, and I like her a lot. And, she won't get the same credit and hasn't been put in like the sense in the same spots. But like, like Alex said, I would kind of like to see her back doing singles stuff. She's very, very, very good here. And I thought definitely held, definitely held her own and didn't look out of place at all. And like for what she's good at, um, definitely was the right person kind of like shine my, be, be like the first to like shine Masha up here leading, leading into the rest of the night. I like this match a lot. Yeah. That's why I was saying like, you know, the top three or, or top three of four matches on the night, like this would be in that conversation where it's either the third or fourth best match on the show. And uh, and just again, it's just Masha on her on her path of destruction as she's leading into winning the tournament. Um, and Hyon, you said, oh, want to see Hyon singles matches. And we mentioned the DPW, but they're building Hyon for that title shot against Amy Sankara. So Hyon and and and. Amy Sankara is going to be fucking great. Like, I'm just so excited for that match. So yeah, like that's a, that's the next one, but uh, Mio Momono um, shout out to the core. Woo. been sending me the links. I've been watching all the, the Mio uh, matches on this, like wrestler of the year year that she's been having. I don't know if you've been keeping up with it as much, but Cody or core uh, Woo has been uh, very strongly saying like that she's in that conversation. And I see it with what I'm watching. It's another one where, like, when I talked about it with uh, C-Hash versus Shuri, where, like, been watching this stuff and seeing what's going on there, it does make it does build me up to a point where I just kind of, I'm like, ah, you know, I've I've been seeing Mio have better performances against better opponents to where I'm a little down on it. And Maria here, honestly, I don't think until the main event that we really get someone who who is able to take Mio to the level where like this, the, how great of a seller she is really works. And Maria, unfortunately just, it's good. Everything is good here, but I just think that Mio is it because I, I guess maybe cause like I said, I'm spoiled um, because she is just a phenomenal seller. Like it's so good that if her opponent doesn't feel like they deserve the level that she's giving, it just, it, it I guess I'm just again, a little spoiled and just kind of not loving it. That, that said, Maria was good at what she was doing here and she was a last minute replacement. Um, it's crazy to think, cause this was supposed to be queen Amanada and that would have been, I mean, I don't even know. Cause Amanada has been so fucking good. Like she's crazy good and just better poise, aggressive, like dominant. So, I just think, yeah, this would have been perfect because like I just talked about, Mio needs a big dominating like, you know, heel to work her over and Amanada would have been great in that role. Um, that said, like uh, still really solid, but just I'm just spoiled because Mio has been so good and she is so good that if her opponent isn't at her level, I just kind of like, eh, whatever. But Quentin, what did you think? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat where it's like if like I'm watching something and it doesn't feel like you're giving Mio like what I feel like you should be giving her. Like I'm almost like, fuck are you doing, man? Like this is like one of the best wrestlers in the world. You gotta like figure this shit out. So like I I understand, but I thought I thought Maria was good. Yeah, I think I liked Maria a little bit more a little bit more than you did, or I'm like maybe slightly more forgiving, I guess. Like maybe maybe I don't know. Like uh 
Maria is also like super duper young, like not exactly a rookie, but like Maria is still like 22 years old or some shit. Like, so she's still like super duper young as well. So I'm not going like super duper hard on her, especially when you said like she's a replace she she's a replacement. So like the original matchup probably would have been a little bit better. It would be good. It would have gotten to see like uh Mio like uh more in her more in her element. But that but that but that being said, I mean like they're just like a Mia Momono just has a really, really, really high floor. It's it's hard for her to have a match that's like below like three stars. It, it's yeah. hard. It's, it's hard. It's hard for her. Like she just operates on a really, really high level, like all the time. Like it's almost like, like almost like Darby kind of. Where like it's like you you have like it have to be like something like disastrous damn near for Darby Allen to have a bad match. And I think that Mio Momono is kind of in the same category there. So like could have been better. And like if any mo- any Mio Momono that we get to see. Like you want it to be great because Marvelous isn't the most generous with their footage and everything like that. So like you got you want to really want to take advantage of every every Mia Momono that match shit match you see. But like this was this was still good here, and I thought that Maria did her job did her did her job fine. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And 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 uh, yeah, there was something there that I meant to to play off of what you just said. But we'll move on. Alex, what did you think here? Um, I guess you're actually familiar with these two wrestlers compared to everyone else, but uh, what did you think? I think it was a fine match, and like to you and Quinn's point, I think the issue here is is that Maria is like two years Mio's junior, so I don't think there's ever a chance for Maria to make Mio have to sell because of the seniority issue. And yeah, Mio is having a you know wrestler of the year good type quality. And her versus Chikao Nakashima for the 3AW belt, one of my favorite matches of the year. But I think it's a good, if you're not familiar with Mio Momono or Maria, I think this is a good sampler of what these wrestlers have to offer. Like Mio standing on Maria's hair and then spraying her feet apart to pull Maria's hair out. That was a great spot. And then Maria got some moments to shine. But again, I think part of it is a seniority issue. Mio is two years senior to Maria in the wrestling business so I don't think there's any chance for Maria to like actually get some shine against Mio and add into the fact that she was a replacement it, it was probably never going to happen yeah yeah Um. do you okay maybe I don't know if you know Alex or how much you're following stuff do you know or Quentin might know too what's going on with Dash and like that because I've heard say that she's going to return soon hopefully um is that like is there any reporting or does it make sense that she's gonna be back soon? That's Chisako? Yeah. Uh I haven't seen anything on my Twitter timeline. Okay. Yeah, because I heard someone kind of teasing that she should be returning soon or something, but I don't know if there's anything to it. Quentin, yeah, have, do you know do you have any anything. idea or anything? No. Yeah, yeah, same, yeah, same here. I haven't seen anything about Dash, so like Probably like when we finish recording, I'll go see if I can find anything putting around. <laughs> right. But like I, like I, you know, I love, I love Dash. So if I, if I think anything on well, that, I'm just, that's, yeah. No, I'm just thinking like with the year that Mio's having, that if we got a a match between Dash and Mio soon with her returning soon, it would be it would just add to the case that she's having because they, you know, because they're both great and they 
I think would have a really good match with each other right now. Um, so I'm just kind of like, eh, you know, I heard someone mention that like that she should be returning soon. And it's just, they have good chemistry with each other and it would be kind of perfect, but we'll see either way. Looking through here, I just saw that Queen Amanada and, and Mio have had a match before in West Coast Pro, which I don't remember, but it's actually, it's from the, um, I think it's from the, the anniversary show that I actually did not ever end up watching because I think that was the same show that had uh, Ben K. And I just realized I never watched that show. Anyways, um, follow that up. This to me, this is like in that conversation where I talked about like the three, four matches or whatever. It's like to me, I'm like, I kind of debate if this is like, I think the third best match on the night or the second best match of the night. Honestly, um, Unagi Sayaka, Billy Starks. I thought that like, Neither one of them are super great sellers, but they really did not let that hurt this match because they did not really waste any time with it. They did like a kind of a bull in the China shop power fighter off like vibe with each other. I I honestly really liked Unagi throughout the entire night. She wrestled like a power fighter and kind of it's interesting because you look at her and she's not like super built, but she's tall and like. That's kind of, I think, especially like still in Japan, they kind of present like tall people as being powerful and strong, um, even if they don't necessarily look. So she like wrestled to that. Um, and Billy obviously wrestled like gruff and the commentary was calling her bully Stark throughout it. And I liked that. And I liked the post match with them walking off together and, and the vibe of it. It just it, again, it just felt like a roughneck brawl between two power fighters They kind of went at it. Not at the, you know, not at the greatest, but I thought that they really did a good job of just not not letting the weaknesses of them bog anything down. They hit a couple really sick looking spots and, and really played off of that vibe with each other pretty well. Alex, what did you think? Like you said, I'm kind of, you know, I guess mid on both wrestlers. Like I like Unagi's vibe. I'm not excited about her wrestling. Billy Starks again, this is my first time watching her and based off of everything I've seen on Twitter and in Slack chat, I'm kind of like, underwhelmed it was a fine match like i even put in my notes the match was fine nothing outstanding or making a statement to me all right well like i said i think it worked for me because they just they just kind of went out there and beat the shit out of each other for for a bit and didn't really didn't really waste any time uh quentin what did you think i like i liked it um not probably not quite as much as you, but I'm definitely not as uh seeming kind of like mad on it as uh as Alex. I thought I thought I thought it was fun. Uh you know, probably gonna get a little a little forgotten in the midst of like us talking about like Masha and Mio and even like high end and stuff like that. But like I thought this was still like pretty solid and I had I had some fun watching it though. Yeah, like I said, it was something different. It stood out, it was like actually a unique opening round match. Um Follow that up. We got the Legends six women tag here. Um, you've got like, to talk about past, present, future with everything. You've got Nicole coming out of retirement here for a big match. You've got uh, Lady Apache, you know, legendary wrestler in her own regard. And you've got one of the biggest legends in the history of wrestling, really, with Chigusa Nagayo here. Um, Obviously, this is the whole fucking point of having Alex on, really. <laughs> you're gonna talk about the the history and the and the and the drama and everything. I mean, partially also we just like talking to you, but um at one point when they're coming out, 
the commentary, I don't remember who it was, was saying like Jigusa Nagayo, one of the biggest celebrities in the history of Japan, not just, you know, wrestling, not women's wrestling, not any of that, but just as a celebrity. And I don't know, Alex, you've done the research, you know, the details. Tell me the story, I guess. Tell us the abbreviated. Obviously, if people really want to get into the details, they go to the, the blog. But how true is that? And they kind of mentioned that Chigusa Nagayo was coming here not even to wrestle, but just to be at the show as part of like kind of the honors of everything. And the one thing that kind of crossed my mind because of just how much deference and how how much she seemed excited to get in there with Lady Apache, do you think, do you think that Chigusa Nagayo kind of partially wanted to wrestle because she wanted to get in the ring with lady apache like do you think that was it or what do you think well my, i'm still in like 1973 it's 1972-ish in my research like but i do have some knowledge on the 80s and yeah the crush gals were legitimately one of the biggest things in music and pop culture in japan between the years of like 1985 until the breakup in like 1989 like when i was doing you know doing my usual scrubbing through japanese websites trying to find magazines there's this one magazine that came out recently and it's all about you know things that women born in the year 1970 just all the nostalgia you have of being a 70s baby and one of the major chapters in this book is just crush gals that's just the name of the chapter crush gals they're fucking massive. And this isn't a wrestling magazine. This is like a cosmopolitan lifestyle magazine for women. And it's all about women born in 1970 and things that we just loved growing up. Crush Gals is it. They were on national TV on music shows. They were selling records upon records. The merchandising, they're in Japanese 17 magazine. They were truly one of just the biggest cultural things in Japan in that bubble economy era and i have an unhealthy amount of magazines from ajw and they have these really big tall high gloss magazines from the beauty pair era and when beauty pair break up the magazines are instantly smaller cheaper paper black and white photos and then when crush gals hits in 1986 the magazines are suddenly huge again even higher paper quality full color spreads Crutch Gals were making boatloads of cash for the company because the economy was just so good. And it was just a cultural zeitgeist for girls and wrestling fans because unlike Beauty Bear, the wrestling was violent. The wrestling was really, really good. Like, they were cool to girls because they were strong and they went out there and just fought. And they were idols because, you know, standard patriarchal society, women are supposed to be soft-spoken in the background in supportive roles but crush gals were taking active roles they were strong they were fighters they never gave up and that just spoke to this generation growing up going to school going to college in this new world of this you know huge bubbling economy endless possibilities like women were getting better job opportunities and like crush gals was just a perfect time and place and yeah they're one of the biggest deals in japanese pop culture history Crush Gals were so popular, Sanrio made Joshi Wrestling Band-Aids. Joshi Wrestling makes cameo in a popular uh, in anime, City Hunter. Like, Crush Gals made Joshi Wrestling just up 
a part of the girls' culture. And yes, so, she yeah. so, Nagio likes wrestling. Yeah, so not uh, it's not a uh, an exaggeration to say one of the yeah one of the biggest celebrities in the history of Japan, basically. And, and she's, legit- who- she's legitimately one of the most important wrestlers of all time. Like yes. straight up, like Chigusa Nagayo should be revered as one of the most important wrestlers to ever live. <laughs> like Crush Gals is a reason that anyone between the years of 1986 and honestly well even past 1994 because in 1995 we get gay of japan so really between 1986 until i don't know conservatively 2004 jigusa nageo is a reason for people to get into joshi wrestling and like it's not just that like we can pinpoint her as like some influential figure or just that she like was really popular like when you go back and watch her, she's just she's so good. <laughs> she's yeah. so fucking good. Her work stands up and stands out. Like even when you go and like want to compare her to like whoever from the era that like you know were contemporaries, like like Jet like Jaguar or Devil or Lioness Asuka, like whoever else you want to compare to like to Chiggy, like she's like she still stands out like like head and shoulders above like other people. Like so on top of like just like her popularity and everything, like the fact that she like stands the test of time with her work too was like, like she's she's like one of like the true true like truest all time greats in like every sense of the word. Yeah, and that's another part of it that I I you stole the words from my mouth there, Quentin. Exactly what I was gonna say is that she's not just she's not just she was not just a huge star cultural phenomenon but she was also a phenomenal wrestler that uh like you said the work still stands the test of time um and you could see again you could see the respect here in this match when you see the way that she treats like someone like i talked about lady apache obviously there's you know whatever history there is there in respect between the two but the way that she treats nicole savoy with the respect of understanding like oh yeah this this girl's really good like she knows that that's a really good wrestler so yeah and you know obviously the team um with Arroyo and and Sandra Moon and Charisma I mean feels like Charisma gets the short end of the stick here and maybe in a few years like we'll remember this it's like oh like I remember seeing her in this match or whatever but you know didn't really stand out but she was not really meant to stand out here um but this was huge insane to pop the crowd um and it was good for what it was, right? It's a celebration. And like I said, it's like if you're doing the Queen of the Indies, you have something like this with legendary historic wrestlers in here. You've got, you know, not legendary, but local hero legends like Nicole Savoy, who really stands out as as like a NorCal. You know, she's from Southern California, but she made her name in a lot of ways up north. Um, a lot of people kind of kind of think of her wrestling up there quite a bit. Um, and was so good for, for as long as she was and everything that, everything that happened with her career and, and the, you know, that we kind of all, I think everyone on this call thinks she deserves better, you know? So this felt like a very big match to have on this show, just to really pay homage to what you're trying to do here on this night. But I guess any other thoughts on the match or anything else before we move on? It was Uh, really cool. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Quentin. No, 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 I'm not going to say anything important. I was just going to say, uh, yeah, Chagusa Nagayo. Uh, 
top 15 wrestler of all time when I put in my GWE ballot. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to figure out a way to like get her as high as I possibly can. Like she's yeah. someone where like, I like, I'm going to have Aja as like my highest rated, uh, women, women's wrestler, but like, I'm going to, I'm going to find a way to get Chagusa like as high as like I, I can. Uh, it was great seeing Nicole wrestle again. I missed her. She was one of my fave women on indies back when I was regularly watching that, even up to a couple years ago. And uh, to Quentin's GWE comment, Chica's and I is going to be my highest crush gal. I can say that. I don't know if she can beat Devil Masami, who was, you know, more of her mentor than Jaguar Yakota, but, you know. Yeah, devil is, yeah, yeah, devil is someone more like that's 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 yeah. a tough one. It's unfair. It's tough. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. Like I can say, like, Chikaza Nageo really understands the emotions of great wrestling. More so, in my opinion, than Linus Asuka. Linus Asuka gets the physicality, she gets the toughness, but Chikaza really understands the emotions and how to add emotional weight to a match. Um, that's, it's, it's crazy to think about because so many people maybe think of Lioness Asuka as, you know, again, one of the greatest of all time when it comes to that, when it comes to the drama and the, uh, I mean, I guess you could say the physicality is kind of more the thing that you think of, but either way. Yeah. I know. I'm not saying that I argue with you. I'm just saying like maybe people, you know, in general might, uh, might have never really thought about that, but it, it's true. Um. Semi-final tag team match. Um, I didn't, again, like the 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 format stinks, but I did kind of appreciate this for what it was. Um, Unagi and Lady Frost, I thought, were a really good team for being heel bruisers, working over um, Mio. And I talked about how I really don't think that that you really got to see the peak of like, someone who can really make Mio's selling sing until the main event. But, uh, but I think that the two of them working her over definitely had some flashes at, at times that really worked well. Um, especially because like I talked about with the Unagi and, and Billy Starks match that you really set up um, Unagi as a, you know, a power fighter, a, a strong um, combatant and Lady Frost, we talked about it, but the poise and the way that she worked. Yeah, like the, it's it's kind of crazy because coming out of it, the Lady Frost and Unagi team really did seem like a worthwhile tag team. And this just feels so thrown together. And so whatever um, the the drama between Mio and Masha as it's funny because they even talked about like they called them by like a team name. I think they call them Happy Dynamite. And they said that they're a tag team. If you look it over like they've had they had one tag team match together ever like a straight up tag team match they've had singles matches against each other but yeah it was just it's very funny to even talk about like that they have some kind of history as a tag team when they really don't but they do have history when it comes to training in the dojo and and that side of things so that was actually there but yeah the drama between the two and really just seeing that dichotomy and and using this match as a setup for the main event uh not just in the sense that Mio gets worked over, but in the sense that you see the difference between Mio, as you talk about being just this dynamic seller who feels like such an underdog. And then, and then Masha being so violent and aggressive and physical um, and just overbearing and dominant and everything that we've had to say. Um, 
really did feel like partially part of setting it up. So while I don't love the, again, like I said, I don't love the structure of the tournament being this way. I think that you could tweak it and you could tell the story in a way that makes it make sense. It's just, it's just so weak. And it's, it's, it's really the weakness of any wrestling. Cause so many indie wrestling shows and promoters and bookers, they put together these shows and they just, they have the commentary team and they just let them go out there and they don't really like say like, tell this story and they don't really have commentators who really put that effort into trying to tell a story. But, but as I said, like the real basic easy story to tell here is like to prove that you're the queen of the Indies, you have to be able to, you know, show that you can do what happens on any wrestling, which means just any random shit can be thrown at you and you have to deal with it. That's part of being an indie wrestler. Um, so either way, um, I guess, yeah, Alex, what were your thoughts on this tag match here? I really enjoyed it, and the team of Lady Frost and Unagi, I'm not mad at. I kind of do want to see them again, either stateside or in Japan. That was a pretty fun tag team, and I like the idea of you have tag teams in a tag match, and then the team that wins, you have a singles match for to determine the winner, and I like that idea, but like you said, having this in-between two tag more tag matches, I understand, like, you need to give the wrestlers rest, and you need to give the audience rest, but it also kind of feels like we're tugging pull between we have a Legends match with comedic moments, tournament match, and then we have a match with, you know, rookies and, you know, other people who are, you know, I guess vets, and then you get to a really good main event, so it kind of feels a little disjointed in between all the other stuff happening, but I'm not I didn't hate it, but like you said, I guess maybe next year or next time, a better format because I'm kind of more used to amateur wrestling formats where you kind of just go, go, go. And another thing I kind of wish indie wrestling would copy from amateur wrestling is changing gear between matches and tournaments. Because in amateur wrestling, you have to change your singlet for hygienic reasons. And just seeing indie wrestlers keep the same gear on for multiple matches in the same night, I'm just like, ugh. Well, my, like, I'm about to say, Alex, you're, ask, you're, ask, you're asking a lot of indie wrestlers to be hygienic. Like you're, you're asking a lot of here. <laughs> yeah. I know, crazy, but please, like, just change your gear. Like, ah, it's, it's, it's some, a, lot, a lot of wrestlers don't do that though. Like in terms of like doing like only people that like really are the biggest wrestling nerds in the world, like fucking like the Shout Chris heroes. Yeah. Chris heroes and Daniel Maccabees and shit. Like they'll think about stuff like that, but like otherwise like wrestlers aren't thinking that way. And it's not super common for them to like, other than like, other than like, you know, like a Chris hero or some shit. Cause yeah. personally for me, like when I get home from work and I'm stuck in sweaty clothes, like I'm immediately changing out into something fresh. Like I don't want to be, I can't imagine being just like, rank wrestling gear and i'm just chilling back just sitting in my own just filth and not just that like it gets cold too at some point like at some point like if it's like sweaty and soaked in sweat like it's gonna get cold and uncomfortable on top of it already being like kind of like weird feelings it's like oh yeah i don't know man (laughs) and well and you're gonna compete the idea that you're gonna compete with now you're like getting chafed and rubbing raw like all of that like just like Alex said, like it's not just a hygienic thing when it comes to amateurs. It's also for peak performance. Cause yeah, as you're as that shit like sits there and festers on you, it's just gonna like it's you're not gonna be at your peak if you like have any kind of chafing or any fucking like 
rashes or anything going on because you're wearing shitty gear for like however many hours that you've wrestled in multiple times. So it doesn't even make sense as as an athlete. Yeah. And also just smell, dude. Like, because I know, again, these rings aren't like amateur wrestling mats where like after each practice, the whole team goes out and we are spraying bleach on the floor, mopping it and drying it to disinfect. Like that's not happening on the indies. Like it just skews me out of it. Knowing wrestlers growing up and then having people be medical field in my family. I'm just like, like, dude, just change the shirt at least. Hello, I can't hear anything. Hello. Hello. Oh, you couldn't hear me. I was muted. Sorry. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I, 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 I just was saying I agree with everything Alex said there, and uh, just wanted to say, Quentin, did you give your thoughts on the tag match? Oh no, I did not. Um, I was actually, yeah, I was actually like really pleased with this tag match. Um, I thought Lady Frost and Unagi like provided like enough in terms of like big like physical intimidators. Like you know, facing Mio and like Mio is small, so like anyone should be able to like take it, like take it, like take advantage of like uh that in the ring and like play and play up like big power stuff and like big like physically physically imposing stuff. But I thought Lady Frost and Naki did like a really really good job of that, and then Masha coming in and like uh being the more being the more dominant dominant force and clean and cleaning stuff up. I thought uh, I thought was uh like very very good fundamental tag tag wrestling. I like the dynamic between them. So I liked it, and I thought that, you know, comparing it to the Maria match earlier, and then like this tag match, like they were like clearly we were starting to like get into the groove of like Mio Momono being put into like put into like the put put into like the best positions to like uh, showcase her skills. Yeah, we're actually showing like what we're why she's here and why she's making it to the main event, especially against Masha, as we talked about, who feels like the dominant force, um, but is paying respect and and. Showing that, like, yes, yeah, she does have that background and that respect to Mio from, from her time in Marvelous. Um, that said, this tag team match, the semi-main event, we kind of already referenced this earlier. I thought that, like, I don't know, this just felt like horseshit. It was disjointed. Was it just like stuff happening? We talked about in the five way in the beginning, like they were able to make that kind of chaos and all that stuff happen really well, and there was some good poise. But I just really did not see it here, and it just. I mean, I get it, as Alex talked about, giving that, like, break and that time in between, but, like, I don't know. At the semi-main, you want you want kind of at least something that feels, like, not so throwaway, and this just felt absolutely throwaway, but I don't know. Quentin, did you have any other thoughts on this? Oh, uh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think I have anything to say here. This is just, it wasn't good. It went ten. It went nine minutes. I don't have anything positive to say about it. Uh but yeah, unless unless Alex has something, we can do we can do the main yeah. event. Alex, do you have any other thoughts? This would have been fine as the second match of the show, not yeah. second to last. Yeah, definitely. Then we get the this meandering weird thing where they're talking about moving the queen of the moving the king of the Indies or moving the queen of the Indies and going to Japan and all this and that. It's just the promoters who think that because they're able to put together this show that that means people need to pay respect to them or whatever it fucking sucks. Um, loved Chigusa Nagayo getting the like them giving her the mic and her just being like, uh, I, I just wanted to wrestle. I don't want to deal with this shit and saying like, we're going to Japan and then just singing the same song that she clearly probably does as her karaoke go to 
over and over again. I like that quite a bit. But yeah, like Jagusa is just infectiously charismatic. But the rest of the stuff, I, promoters need to just accept that you're not fucking. You're not talent. There's a reason why you're a promoter. It's because you're not. You're not talent. It's fine. Just appreciate that you put on the show. That's enough. You don't need to get in the ring and talk. Um, you know, other than Excalibur, he's pretty good. But otherwise, you know, just keep it to yourself. Do you guys have anything to say about the, that annoying ass segment? Uh, yeah, no, just is. But by that point, I was kind of like mentally checked out, so like I refused to let my let myself get annoyed by it. Yeah. And I was like, "Look, I'm about to watch Monster Dynamic versus Mio Momono. I don't care. Let me just watch this good match." Yeah, and then, it was a good yeah, bathroom break. Perfect. Yeah. Um, and then we get into the main event. And Alex, what did you think about the main event here with uh with Masha and Mio Momono? Really good. Uh, the, this is awesome chance. I hate those. I'll never like them, but this was a really good match. My favorite part was the JK bomb counter and then the nice double stomp. But I think this is closer to what you want to show people. You want to say Mio Mono is probably one of the best sellers in Japan right now. She's personally one of my favorite just rag dolls in wrestling. And this is the best you get to see in this tournament of Mio doing that. Also, this is a pretty good introduction for me for Masha Slamovich. Like, I get it. I want to see her back in Marvelous, and I would definitely seek her out more. Like, this is good wrestling. Just nice, fun, a power wrestler versus a smaller underdog. Yeah, this is exactly what you want. Um, you just have this amazing force of nature, spark plug, violent, brutal, unpredictable, everything that I've said about Masha up against, like, you know, a more run of the not run of the mill, but you're more standard what you expect from a babyface technical, you know, is not going to like bend the rules, is just trying to be honorable and and athletic and and prove that you know she's a great competitor. And it's just such a perfect dynamic, especially for the main event as we talk about um really showcasing what you can get on the indies and 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 it's it's lucky because even if they had access to the top Josie wrestlers from other companies, like I don't know, like Mio, I think is much better in this role than pretty much any other Joshi that you could have put here. Um, and Masha just comes across like a fucking crowbar. I was trying to do research and figure out if anybody, if I knew anybody who's ever wrestled her before, because I always hate to guess about how stiff someone is. You know, I want to like actually have reports because. You can never tell. You really can't. But when you wash matcha, when it really comes down to it, everything looks like it fucking hurts. She does not look like she's holding anything back. And Mio is just such an amazing seller that she makes the stuff look even worse. And that's why, like, building up to this the entire way through, both of these two, as the story comes to this main event, was so perfect um, as it was just set up to get this. And and yeah, I mean, it's not even just her selling. I mean, even when Mio's doing her offense, the way that she throws her whole body into every strike, the way that she flies around, like on her big dives, everything she does just is just wild and all over the place. It's fucking crazy. Like, it's just, it does not look humanly possible at sometimes with the way that she's just, just throws every ounce of everything she has into everything she does, be it selling, be it offense, all of it. Um, Phenomenal way to to cap off this tournament. Really helps to 
kind of anything that else on the tournament that didn't quite deliver, like you at least get sent home happy in a way that you're going to be positive and think like this was a great kind of showing for women's wrestling for, you know, independent wrestling to just let you know that there's still, there is still something worthwhile out there because it's so easy right now with how bad so much stuff is to get gloomy and just say like wrestling fucking sucks and there's nothing good. And then you have something like this that just shows you like, no, 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 wrestling is still good. And, and Mio is having this wrestler of the year level year performance, but you know, this on the other side of the planet against this random opponent who's not necessarily so, so random because they do have history with each other, but not a regular opponent that she's, you know, had many other matches with. She continues to make that case and just show, and this is the kind of things that stand out. I talked about it last week with Violence is Forever and their match in, in Japan. This is like kind of the opposite with Mio coming to America and doing a similar thing where she just has a slew of really great matches um, to continue to bolster her case this year. Uh, Quentin, what were your thoughts on the on the main event here? I'm sorry if I... I'm sorry if me and Alex took everything and didn't leave you much to say, but uh, what were your thoughts? I mean, no, yeah, you guys like pretty much covered covered it all, but like it can't be said enough just how awesome this match is. I'm not sure what would rank for me in terms of like uh like best of the year or whatever, but like this is everything that you'd want it to be, like from like the chaotic, like powerful energy of Masha to like the fiery underdog stuff and selling from from Mio, like. This is a match that sounds really awesome on paper and then was like just as good as you'd think. Like it's delivered on every single expectation that if you're familiar with the two women, you would have. So just based off of that, I'm happy. I, I was happy with it. And it was a really, really great end to like a pretty solid show. Again, like structural issues and like other weirdness aside, like. The wrestling on this show was very good. I enjoyed the wrestling I saw on the show. And then when you cap it off of having like two of the two of the best wrestlers in the world going at it, like that can overcome a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It leaves you with that good taste in your mouth coming out of this, just feeling like again, like I said, there is actually something positive in wrestling. Um it feels a little bit like going with the pat hand, having the champion of the company win the big tournament in the company. But at the same time, we talked about it like it does not feel forced when it's Masha because she's just such a force right now when it comes to wrestling and just everywhere, everything she does. I mean, even the GCW title run, as I referenced earlier, like has been so good like i mean she's just masha's special she really is and it's been a it's been a while that it's been going on but it, this it really feels like it's starting to culminate now with just everything coming together and and it's crazy because if you even pay attention to like the stuff she's doing in impact where she's like a lot more polished and and being presented more like you know like a, a tv superstar wrestler she's able to do that too because Part of what makes her work in these settings, I talked about it with the griminess and the unpredictability and all that. Like, yeah, for sure. But she can also she can also clean up and, and kind of be polished. So it's really just a matter of time before someone takes notice. I mean, hopefully, as Alex talked about, another tour in Japan or or or, or some more big matches in any company. Marvelous would be great, but you know, other companies in Japan um would be good before settling down somewhere but i mean it just feels like it's inevitable with the quality of work that she's doing that 
that someone's going to pick her up and, and she's going to continue to rise at this at the way that she is. Um, you guys have any other final thoughts on this before we, I guess, head out for the evening? Uh, no, I mean, obviously, like, thank you to Alex for coming on and uh, uh, gracing us with their, pre- with, with their presence here. It's always, like, really, really fun to have, to have Alex on. So before you sign off and do any plugs and plug any projects or talk about what you're reading or do whatever else, I just have one question for you. Uh, blast or trap nest? <laughs> it's, it's blast 100%. Uh, like Le- Le- Layla isn't enough. No, okay. Like <sighs> nearly every man in Trapness is the biggest red flag. And no, oh, oh, you you should have seen me in middle school reading my <laughs> chapters. I was so heated. I legitimately would see a black Mercedes G wagon and just be like, ah. No, do you? You have no idea how fucking mad I was after like all the foreshadowing. Oh, Takumi's not a good guy. Takumi's not a good guy. And then when you like finally get to the uh, panel where like uh, Hachi emails and <laughs> you see the girl in the bathtub with them, you're like, motherfucker, I knew it. I knew it. But, oh my God. <laughs> and then the flashback, when he goes to his, his fucking high school days, I'm just like, I want oh. this man hit. Okay, listen. So here's what's funny is the way that like I started reading. Nana on like on, like on like one of like the online sites I like gathered like gathered all the chapters. So so for some reason someone put that chapter like first. Oh no. No, you yeah. need to build up into the hatred. Yeah. You need so to build like, up into the scum bag. Okay. <laughs> so listen, so like I read that chapter first. So I'm like, okay, all right. Didn't come back to Nana for a bit. Then you like get like the separate origin stories for, for both the Nanas. I'm like, huh. This okay, this is interesting, but like, where's this Takumi guy? Because <laughs> the way that they set it up, I, mean, well, I, I was thinking that like Takumi was gonna be there from like day one or some shit. But yo, oh, yeah, just the worst fucking human being like on the face of the earth. Like but, I had visceral reactions <laughs> just to seeing a black Mercedes G wagon on the road. <laughs> I would just be like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> but Alex, do you, do you want to like plug your Twitter or whatever else you have yeah. going on? Okay. Um, so like they've alluded to, I'm currently researching the reasons why Beauty Pair and Crush Gals are so popular with young women. Uh, I'm currently around 1970, 1972 with my research right now. I just learned about the New Left Movement in Japan specifically. And now I'm reading some basic Marxist-Leninist theory before I get into the Rose of Versailles, which is a major reason why Beauty Pair and Crush Gals get so popular. You can find me on Twitter at Noah's underscore Savior. Uh, my blog is I Say, You Say, Hey Say, H-E-I-S-E-I. I post my podcast episodes there. I post some match reviews. I post, post just some general thoughts I have about wrestling. Uh, that's where you can read my pick me wrestling about stardom. <laughs> <laughs> wait, excuse, wait, wait, excuse, wait, hold on. 
Excuse me, someone said that to you or something? No, I wrote Pick Me Wrestling. Oh, okay, okay. Stardom, oh, 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 oh read it on that website. Oh, okay. I, I, I remember reading that now, but I was like, wait, did someone like said you were a pick me because of something stardom related? No, like <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ. God, no, let me tell you <laughs> the stardom and not even stardom, it's the Rossio Gawa stands that I'm just befuddled by. Cause like I'm going to use this as my platform because I'm pretty sure no one else has actually done the research. No one else is a pawn to Rossi or fucking Fumi Saito. And uh, I'm going to quote this woman who wrote a book about the new left in Mexico. Her name's Susanna Dreyer or no, Susanna Draper, quote, masculine monopoly over the memory of the moment, end quote. And that's what I'm going to say about Rossi Ogawa, Fumi Saito and the Masculine monopoly of the memory of HAW during its peak in the late 80s and the early 90s. There's so much more that they did to damage the growing scene of Joshi wrestling than they did positives. This transition into the hardcore wrestling fan base that was predominantly male versus the predominantly female fan base, because Rossi Ogawa said he wanted to make the wrestling fan base more like it was when he became a fan of Joshi wrestling and uh heads up that's when fucking uh Mak Fumiake and Yukari Lynch were getting features in Weekly Playboy they were not modeling in Weekly Playboy but you would have features of these two young female wrestlers who were under the age of 18 along with spreads of nude women in Weekly Playboy that's when Rossi Ogawa became a fan of Joshi wrestling that was the type of fan he wanted to bring back to Joshi wrestling and he succeeded and that strength audience for Joshi Wrestling and helps create the stereotype of the current Joshi Wrestling fan. So that's what he did. That's his major impact to wrestling. He did not create Crush Gals. He did not scout Crush Gals. He did not scout Ajakong. He did not scout Akira Hokuto. He did not create the character of the Dangerous Queen for Akira Hokuto. He did not create the Mexico Excursion because the Queen Angels went on the first Mexico Excursion in March of 1979. Rossio Gower is not a great architect of Joshi Wrestling. He went up to the ranks of a family business that became a successful wrestling promotion, and he got handed the keys because the Masanaga brothers were getting older, and Rossio Gower had been there since approximately, I don't know, I guess 1978, maybe 1979. Basically, he's not a great architect. He just had to be in the right place at the right time, and he also benefited by being a man in a men's world of owning a business and women were not able to own their own businesses until we see that happen in 1992 when Rumi Kazama and Shinobu Kandori create LLPW. As, uh, <laughs> as I opened this up, I said, you know, Alex has the most in-depth information and thought-provoking fucking points and 100% agree with you. We've, I we're not you know, Rossi fanboys on this podcast, what me and Quentin have said, you know, clear booker, promoter of the year, whatever. Um, that's just talking about the business and, and what he's delivering. But as you talk about it there and what you mentioned is true because the, you know, the stigma about Joshi wrestling fans has changed a lot in the past few years to where it becomes almost impossible to take it seriously because, you know, because of basically it sounds like because of Rossi framing the wrestling in that way when historically there was tons of teen girl fans and there could be again, you know, teen 
Grohl and just across the board, different fan bases that are not, you know, Louis Dangor. Yeah, because, yeah, the young female fans are iconic for AGW points in history, but that was also very much in Tokyo and the surrounding Tokyo areas. Whenever they went to more rural communities, it was a more mixed audience because they were traveling to all these places that, you know, a New Japan or an All Japan weren't necessarily traveling to. They were an entertainment company. They were wrestling and people went to see the wrestling. Like, there's a lot more I could say, but yeah. Like, and when Rossi Ogawa leaves in 1997 to create Arsian, it's really interesting how a lot of now older female fans come back to AJW and you start seeing them in the audience. You start hearing them. And AJW now has a more mixed general audience in the late 90s. Interesting how that happens when Rossi Ogawa leaves the company. So like, like, you're telling me, oh, go ahead, Quinn. I was going to say, like, like, she, like Alex pointed out just now, too, it's like, it's always interesting to see, like, where, like, certain perspectives on, like, the, uh, that hey, that heyday of, like, women's wrestling in Japan comes from because, like, you know, like, I don't know if it's because they're not seeking out the opinions of these, like, of these wrestlers or whatever, but you're only getting those information, like getting information from like, like the Ross, like they're like the Rossies or Fumi Saito or Fumi Saito or in that, in this case now Sunny and, thing, and things like that, where like, you no know, law, like you're really kind of missing that perspective, like from women and particularly like the wrestlers who were there at that point in time, like you have to go digging to find things that like Akira Hokuto has said, or like women from the era from, from the era have said, like you have to go like digging for those type of things. And you don't have to go you don't have to go digging to find like things that Rossi has said or what Rossi thinks or whatever else is going on. Like it's 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 interesting because there those opinions as time goes on and like as these women go on to like live different lives and get out of the wrestling spotlight, like the men get to continue to dominate the conversation and dominate the dialogue around it and like the women that like live these experiences and like dealt with how the industry industry was like, they just like what they say kind of gets forgotten unless you're someone like Alex or like people like us to like really go and like look for these things. But otherwise those voices kind of get forgotten. Yeah. I mean, I have to say thank you, Alex, because I, <laughs> you said like us, but not like me. Like I, I wouldn't know this if it wasn't for Alex. I mean, I know, who to pay attention to. And that's why I appreciate having, you know, having your work and following what you have to say. Cause yeah, you dig, you actually dig through and do the research and then I'm better off for it actually knowing this stuff because of the work that you're doing, which we all really appreciate. Uh, yeah. Is there any other, like, go ahead. Sorry. It's just one last thing. It's like one of the biggest, big influences in AGW history, the talkers review and it goes back into my frustration with, you know, the masculine monopoly of memory of the moment. When you read Japanese history books about Joshi wrestling and even one of the AJW magazines at the time, they mentioned the Talkers of the Review. Like, it's a known thing. Like, the historians, people know this happens because Talkers of the Review got so popular. But that doesn't translate over to the Western audience. One, because America doesn't have any type of cultural equivalent to the Talkers Duke Review. And then also, I just don't think the people who are talking to Dave Meltzer's over in America liked Rosa Versailles or Talkers Duke Review 
or they were probably also men who thought things things that were popular with girls were lame and uncool and so they don't bother knowing about this stuff and that's the frustration that drives me making sure people understand no this is why this happens it's in it's in the fucking books but no one can read or pays attention to the books they just rely on the same handful of guys saying the same information it's like i was talking to one person in the gw discord and it's like ogawa benefits from the masanaka's being dead and a lot of the early wrestlers being dead or just living happy lives without the internet like he benefits a lot from people just not wanting to share their stories and it's like no fuck you I'm going to make sure this story is shared. <laughs> Again, yeah, really appreciate that. And like, yeah, like digging through it and it's there. It's there to see. And it's really easy to to know that it's like 100% true. But it's so much easier, like you said, to just take it at like at the word from the, you know, the big Fumi and Dave and, and their kind of conversations and and rossi to a lesser extent because really people don't get like the stuff from rossi but either way you know what i mean um yeah it's just like it really fucking sucks wrestling journalism all this stuff really fucking sucks that like a couple of guys points of view get like mixed and i guess this is as good a place of any to (laughs) shout out someone who we probably should have mentioned before much earlier on, but when it comes to all this and it comes to like actually doing your own research and not just taking, you know, at face value from like the couple of people who tell you what's good, like, you know, Dean Rasmussen, the voice of DVDVR passing away recently. And it's, it just speaks to the same thing. And that same spirit of like, don't, uh, don't let like the dominant fucking cultural forces, of a couple of guys who have whatever opinion they have based on weird shit and whoever's nice to them is like the reason why they say they like whatever, like just do the research yourself. It's not that hard or find somebody who you respect and can trust. Who's going to do the research and actually get the truth. And don't just listen to the same couple of people who just say whatever they have for whatever reason. I don't have anything. Uh, yeah, I don't have anything left to say there. So, uh, ready, ready to uh, sign off here. I am, uh, Alex. The floor is yours. If you have any other bombs to drop, I know it's getting late. Uh, no, I'm good. I said okay. what I need to say. <laughs> well, it's always a pleasure to have you on, Alex. I just, I wish, I always wish you put out more content, honestly, because I just, I eat it up with a spoon. Everything you have to say, I always just like fucking really, really appreciate. Thanks as always for being on. And uh, yeah, feel free, Quentin, to close it out. Uh, I love our mandatory Alex ISO segment to end the podcast. So uh, that was, so that was, so that was great. Otherwise you can follow me at QT underscore Moody. You can follow Tim at ROH Dutch, you can follow the podcast network at WDKWPN. If you're feeling as so kind to donate to us on coffee, so me and Alex can um I don't know, go pick up uh drawing classes so we can uh illustrate the rest of Nana and I can just write the dialogue. <laughs> I think uh I think I think that's a I think that's a very reasonable one. 
So thank you all for listening. I hope you're next time. Forever. 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 Forever.